right, well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Come on, we'll say that every week. Just love celebrating Christmas. Hey, we cannot wait to celebrate next Sunday with you and your family. We'll all be together. And uh, we're, we're risking the farm this year in that we are going to provide real candles for you to have real fire in your hands, trusting that you won't burn the house down. We think we can handle that this year. Hey, we're going to have just really a, a great, great time. Here's some of our expectation, uh, kind of as we're planning and what we're thinking. Not only will, will service just have a little bit of a different pace to it, some special moments. It's going to be a lot of fun for the entire family. Uh, but we're kind of anticipating that um, the 1045 service that morning will be our fuller service, especially with those of you who have uh, younger elementary age children who have many festivities that you may be doing Christmas morning. And uh, so we're expecting that to be a little bit of the bigger family service. And so uh, if you were thinking, hey, the 1045 sounds like a great uh, service, but you don't have young kids, would you maybe consider the 9 a.m.? Uh, we, again, we, we think that 1045 is going to be full standing room only with families and things. And so uh, maybe you don't have those younger kids, uh, maybe come to this 9 a.m. service. Normally, this 9 a.m. service is our fuller service. Uh, I guess there's football on later and you don't like to miss the kickoff or something. Uh, and so typically this is our heavier service, but we're expecting it actually to be a little bit flipped on Christmas morning. So just kind of let you know kind of how we're planning and so you can link up and partner with us. Well, if you have your Bibles, join me in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Uh, we're in this collection, the King Jesus Gospel. If you didn't bring a Bible but have your smartphone, you can scan the QR code on the screen, and it'll take you to a spot where you can follow along and read the scriptures and take some notes, email them to yourself a little bit later on. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 17, it says this, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately, and he told them what was going to happen. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed, and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, they will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But, somebody say but. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Come on, we're not just people who believe in the arrival of Jesus we are resurrection people believing that he rose from the dead. Oh, that was a really weak amen. We are resurrection people. Amen. amen. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Let's pray. Lord, give us eyes to see, heart to receive, and ears to hear what you're saying to us today, Holy Spirit. We love you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. It was 1932. Chicago, Wrigley Field. 
It was the Chicago Cubs against the New York Yankees in the World Series. It was game three. And something unprecedented happened. One Babe Ruth steps into the batter's box. In his New York Yankee pinstripes makes me want to vomit. <laughs> Playing the Chicago Cubs. And Babe Ruth in that at bat does something unheard of. He points to the outfield fence. And within that same at bat, hits a home run to that same spot. Babe Ruth called his shot and backed it up. Jesus, walking to Jerusalem, calls his shot. Calls his shot. Hey, disciples, get, get in here. Watch out. Let me point to you right here. See, see, that, see that hill right there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm about to die. And, and then I'm going to be in a tomb. But, 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 but here's the deal, guys. Three days later, one, two, three, uno, dos, tres, I'm going to get up. They think they're going to win, but I'm going to rise from the dead. Jesus is calling his shot. Eight ball, side pocket, bounce off three rails and in the pocket. He hits his shot and then gives him you a little too small on his way back. Some of you who don't watch basketball have no idea what I'm saying right now. But those of you who do know exactly what I'm talking about. Calls his shot and lets him know all about it on the way. Jesus was calling his shot. He was foretelling them what was coming. What you need to understand is that all of Jesus' life was foretold of. The prophets in the Old Testament Hundreds of years before Jesus arrived on the scene, we're calling out the shot. Here's what's going to happen when he arrives. Here's what his life is going to look like. Here's what he's going to do. Here's what he's going to say. Here's why he's coming. Here's what's what and how it's going to happen. See, this King Jesus gospel that we've been looking at is the telling of a story. It's a story of God's redemption, which is the fulfillment of the foretelling of the Messiah who was coming to accomplish it. This is what the King Jesus gospel is all about. It is the telling of the story of God's redemption, which is the fulfillment of the foretelling of the Messiah who was coming to accomplish it. There were, I think, somewhere over, over 40 different prophecies as it relates to the life of Jesus. I, I might be wrong on that. There were so many prophecies, and the brilliance of it is that he fulfilled all of them. The statistical probability that he could do that is absolutely astronomically mind-blowing. The odds are way more than a man standing in a batter's box pointing over a field saying, I'm about to hit one there. The, the, the statistical probability is crazy. I've shared this with you. A, a scientist by the name of Peter Stoner had done some research mathematically. And the mathematical probability that Jesus would just complete eight. Everybody say eight. There are way more than eight, but let's just say eight. The statistical probability that Jesus would fulfill eight prophecies about his life. Just eight of them. The statistical probability is the same odds that you would have of being blindfolded. In a helicopter, 
flying over the great land of Texas, landing, and the entire land of Texas, the entire state covered two inches thick with silver dollars. And you randomly blindfolded jump out of the helicopter, reach down, and pick up the one that has an X on it. That's the statistical probability that Jesus would fulfill eight prophecies that were spoken of his life 400, 700, 900 years before he ever arrived on the scene. Jesus called his shot. God called the shot before he ever showed up. And then when he arrived, it was the culmination of a story. See, the King Jesus gospel, the gospel that we proclaim is really about the arrival of a Messiah King, the son of David, of the line and lineage of King David, that would come and save his people from their sins, that he would come and redeem humanity. That's why he came. That's why he arrived. And this season of Advent, we are celebrating the arrival of Jesus. Advent means arrival. And typically you do four Sundays of Advent and then Christmas Day. We're, we're kind of doing four Sundays of Advent and Christmas Day, kind of on the same fourth Sunday. And today I, I want you to see as we talk about Jesus, as we talk about him foretelling his life and what was happening to his death and his crucifixion and letting the disciples know that also before he ever arrived, that was also prophesied. And his arrival did something remarkable. Advent means arrival. This Advent, when Jesus came the first time, he came and awakened joy within the world because the Messiah has now arrived. The Messiah that was prophesied about, promised to come, who was coming for the purpose of saving his people from their sins. Advent is this awakening of joy because the Messiah had arrived. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, in this Christmas story narrative, there's some uh, characters in there named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, well advanced in their years, and unable to have children for all of their life. Except around this time, an angel showed up to Zechariah, who worked in the temple, and said, Zechariah, this time your wife will be pregnant. And God's going to do this miracle. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He's going to pave the way and be the preparer of the way for the arrival of the Son of God to come to this earth. He's going to play a specific role, an important role. And your wife, God, is going to miraculously help you and her to conceive. This was not a virgin birth. This was a birth that was a miraculous, age-defying act that required both of their partnership to believe God and see him do a work through them. And at this time of his son's arrival, of John's arrival, Zechariah prophesies. He calls the shot. He foretells something that is to come that would be the arrival of the Messiah that was coming. And he says this. You can see it in Luke 1, verse 67. Then his father, John's father, Zechariah, was filled, somebody say filled, with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his 
people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. What an amazing prophecy. What an encouraging thing to hear. What was Zechariah doing? He was prophesying of Jesus' soon, eminent, quick arrival. And that arrival was amazing. Why? Because it was the coming of a Messiah through the royal line of David to complete Israel's story of redemption. Jesus was coming on purpose, for a purpose, and for a people. This was what was arriving. And not only was it arriving, it was an arrival of the Messiah, and joy was beginning to be stirred around it. Because finally, after long-awaited years of angst and wondering and curiosity and hoping and wishing and praying and pain and disappointment and discouragement and, and being exiled and being returned and all of the ups and the downs of the 400 plus years of waiting for this Messiah to arrive, now he's coming. Advent is here. The Messiah is going to be born. Listen to how the angels announce the arrival of Jesus, the advent of the Messiah. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, they're announcing it to some shepherds. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Somebody say good news. I bring you good news of great joy. Somebody say great joy. Oh, you better say it like you're happy. Great joy. There, you got to get that inflection up. You got to kind of get it up a little bit. Great joy. That will be for a select few people. For only the really good ones. For the ones that have the right color skin and were born into the right family line. It'll be great news for those who economically are stable and secure. It'll be great news for the popular homecoming king and queens. It'll be really good news for them. Is that what it says? No, no. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ our Lord. Why is it important that they mention that it was the city of David? Because prophesied when God started calling the shots long ago, the Messiah would come through the line of David. That's why it's the king, Jesus' gospel. Because David was the king and of his line and lineage, the royal line of the people of God would always be established. It's the story being fulfilled, and this story culminates around the arrival of a Savior and a Messiah that's going to awaken joy for all people. It's good news when God starts calling his shots. Jesus came for a specific reason. He arrived on the scene at just the right time. Jesus knew exactly why he came. 
Jesus knew he was coming to save the world from their sins. Jesus knew that the son had to come and be born in this way. Jesus knew why he came. Because Jesus growing up was studying the Torah. And in the Torah and in the prophets of old, he would read Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, these first three verses say this, For the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captains will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. And to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes for a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Jesus knew what was said about his arrival in in his life. That's why he was telling his disciples, hey guys, I'm I'm, uh, getting getting ready to go up to Jerusalem and here's what's about to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be falsely accused of some things. I'm going to be beaten, crucified. But three days I'm going to rise again because there's an appointment that I have to make redemption possible for all people. Oh, it's going to be a joyful day. Just you wait. Jesus knew why he came. In fact, Jesus would remix these same words in Isaiah 61. He would remix them later in his own life when he stood at the temple and proclaimed some things. He would use these same words. Jesus knew why he, he came. Jesus knew why his arrival mattered. Jesus knew why he showed up to do what he did. In fact, if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 20, we we read this verse last week, but Jesus told his disciples, hey guys, here's what's happening. I'm about to go do all these things. I'm going to be crucified, raised from the dead. And you keep reading in Matthew chapter 20, his disciples come to him and we're like, hey, can we sit at your right hand? Like when you you show up as the conquering king, can we like get like a special seat? Can we get like VIP reserved seating next to you in heaven and kind of be your right hand and kind of be there to like prop you up and celebrate and be there ruling and reigning with you. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. I didn't come to help you find adulation and praise. No, I came for a very specific reason. And you see this, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but the Son of Man came to serve others and give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew why he came. Jesus was fully aware of his purpose. Jesus knew his purpose on this earth was very specific and very particular. Jesus knew why he came. Jesus knew that as the king and the Messiah, that he needed to guide people and help them understand what this mission was really looks like that there is a purpose that we are called to live in there is a purpose that i am here for there is a purpose that he came to do and he demonstrated it again and again and again he continually talked about there's a new life there's a new way to be human 
Oh, there's a way that you can flourish in this life. And those who aren't experiencing flourishing, I'm going to heal their brokenness so they can experience their flourishing. Those that are experiencing pain in their life, I'm going to, I'm going to heal that pain so they can begin to flourish. Those who have a heavy heart and feel trapped and, and broken and, and imprisoned, I'm going to set them free. Those that can't see, I'm going to help them see again. I'm coming for a reason. A reason that helps them see the kingdom of God here and now. And he would demonstrate it again and again and again. In fact, Jesus gets done telling the disciples that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And the gospel of Matthew continues. You pick it up in verse 29. This is what happens. Watch this. And Jesus, as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, because they're making their way from Jerusalem. It was a long trek coming along the eastern line of Jordan. Left and they came to the town of Jericho. A large crowd began to follow behind him. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that it was Jesus coming. When they heard it was Jesus' arrival. When they heard the advent of the Savior was coming near to them. When they heard that Jesus was coming, they started to shout, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Oh, be quiet, the crowd shouted. But they only shouted Louder. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Some sound guys were they were ready, right? They were like, hold on. And they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David. Why? Because the advent and the arrival of Jesus was the completion of a story of Israel, of a king coming as the son of David. They saw the King Jesus gospel unfolding in front of their eyes. The arrival of the son of David. Oh, they knew who the son of David was coming. And they knew the purpose that the son of David had. And they recognized this man is on a mission and his purpose is coming. And they said, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and he called to them. What do you want me to do for you? Lord they said, we want to see. Earlier in this collection, I I, I mentioned how in Scripture, the only person we have record of healing blind eyes is Jesus. And most theologians and Bible scholars believe that the reason we only have record really of Jesus healing blind eyes is because Jesus is the one who is called to illuminate our spiritual eyes to see him and him alone. That we are all born with a spiritual blind condition, unable to see the kingdom of God at work around us unless we experience a touch of the spirit of Jesus ourselves, we will remain blind to the kingdom of God around us. And the salvation experience for us all begins 
with our spiritual eyes being open to recognize the king has come. That redemption is here. That he has brought good news of great joy for all people. That you and I can have our eyes open to see the king in a new way. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew why he came. And why he came was to help people like you and me see that there is a greater purpose in life than just living nine to five. That you and I were born for a redemptive purpose. That you, within you, when your eyes are open to see Jesus clearly, you begin to realize that you, like Jesus, have redemptive potential hardwired into who you are. There is a purpose for your life. Your parents may have said it was an oops, but God said, I got purpose. Figure if we're talking about babies being born, we may as well talk about babies being born. Your life has purpose. There's a reason you're still breathing today. If there was no purpose for your life other than the getting to heaven, in the baptism waters, we would hold you under until the bubble stopped so that you could fulfill your purpose of just going to heaven with God. Come on. But that's not how we baptize. Just down and up. That's how we do it. Like it's fully under, but you coming right back up. Why? Because there is a purpose for your walking on this earth. Jesus had a purpose on this earth. And when he arrived, it awakened a joy in all of us. Can I tell you something? When you begin to discover your purpose for this life, there is a joy that is awakened within you. Some of you are struggling for joy because you've lost sight of your purpose. Some of you don't feel like you have a real purpose and you're struggling for joy. Some of you think that your purpose is something and it's not that thing. It's not making more money. It's not being more known. It's not become a social influencer. It's not become the best at this or the most well-known that. It's not about just surviving and thriving and making it through another day. There is a greater purpose. And when you lose sight of your purpose, joy seems to evaporate in all of us. Listen, can I say it like this? Jesus wants you to see him clearly and to know your purpose. He wants to open your eyes. You want to know one prayer God loves to answer? Jesus, give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see. Give me, give me eyes to see your kingdom. Give me eyes to see why you would redeem me. Why you would save me. Jesus, give me eyes to see why you would save them. Jesus, give me eyes to see your kingdom around me. Jesus, give me eyes to see why that old man in Walmart is always aggravated at kids. Give me eyes to see that it's because he hasn't seen his grandkids in 10 years. 
and there's great sorrow in his life. God, give me eyes to see. Now, give me eyes to see that that's not a mom who's just a hot mess. It's a mom who feels helpless. Lord, give me eyes. Give me eyes to see. Give me eyes. Would you be bold enough, humble enough this Christmas to say, Jesus, as you arrive in a fresh way in my life, would you open my eyes to see what you see that is around me? Would you help me see what's around me? Jesus had a mission, and he refused to lose sight of his mission. He refused to lose sight of his purpose. He refused to allow the praise and the adulation of the people to derail him from his purpose. And that's why so much of Matthew chapter 20 and the chapters before it, Jesus is constantly reminding us of his purpose. He's constantly helping his disciples to see, hey guys, I'm going to call my shot right here. I want you to see the big picture. I want you to see what's coming. Here's what's coming. I'm going, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to die, but I'm going to get up again. I need you to see that I have a purpose, that you have a purpose, that we have a purpose. And this purpose brings a sense of joy in our purpose. Jesus never lost sight of his purpose. Hebrews chapter 12 is such a a powerful help for us as we're trying to look at our purpose too. Because I said it before, Jesus doesn't want you to lose sight of your purpose. He wants you to see him clearly so that you can see your purpose. And I have a feeling some of us have lost sight of our purpose. And we need to see that purpose clearly again. Hebrews 12 gives us some instruction on this. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, this is what scripture says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses... To this life of faith, let us strip off every weight. Somebody say weight. That slows us down. And especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance. Somebody say endurance. The race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on CNN. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot where I was. We do this by keeping our eyes on Fox News. We, we do this by keeping our eyes on our bank account and our portfolio of investments. Why do this by keeping our eyes on our Google Calendar to make sure we're all at the same place at the right time and we're moving here and we got this here and we're not getting crossed up and we're on time and everybody's everything and the kids are all happy and we're doing plenty of things. That's where we'll find our purpose is more activity. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, Because of the joy. Somebody say joy. Joy. I'm sorry. I I, I meant to have it up there on the screen. So if you're not following along, I I apologize. It'll be up there for the next service. Because of the joy, he says, awaiting him. He endured the cross. He disregarded its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor besides God. 
There are three things that are really important for you to notice in this passage. Uh, I want you to see that there is a race marked for you. What is that race? That is your life's purpose. The potential because of the redemption of Jesus provided for you, there is a race marked for you. It's your race. It's not my race. You got your lane. I got my lane. You stay in your lane, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not trying to run the lane of some other preacher. I'm not trying to run the lane of some other pastor. I'm not trying to run the lane of some other Fort Scotian. I'm running my race in my lane. And you have a lane that's marked out for you. Because before the foundations of the world, God has ordained your days. From your mother's womb, he knit you together, breathed life into you, and was giving you a reason to live. There's a purpose for your life. But that purpose can easily get derailed because there are some weights that you carry that slow you down. Might I suggest that in your life of faith, in your following Jesus, if there are some things in your life where you feel like your spiritual growth has slowed down, it used to be flourishing. Man, you used to be bustling and, and God was doing great things and you were in the word and you were loving people and there was joy abounding in your life, but your spiritual growth has slowed down. Might I suggest it's because you're carrying some weight you weren't meant to carry? Because there are some things that have distracted you and those have made you slow down because you were focused and running but then all of a sudden you started looking around and kind of like, oh, hold on, let me see what's happening. Let me smell the roses. Let me, oh, what you up to? Let me, oh yeah, absolutely. I can do that. I can do that. And we started filling our schedules, doing our things and our mornings got busy. Our evenings got busy and we aren't growing and flourishing in our life of faith because we got distracted. There's some things we started carrying and holding and there are weights. These are good things. These aren't sins. These aren't immoral things. These are potential even blessings that God wants to bring into your life. But when you have them improperly or you are holding them in an improper way, they become a weight that slow you down from your purpose. And he says, you've got to throw them down. And then he says, it may not just be weights of distraction that are keeping you from your purpose. Some of you, it's sin that has tripped you can I ask you a question? Are you tripping? Are you? Did your life of faith completely stop? Have you tripped up in your running your purpose? Completely foregoing what your life is all about? Completely missing the point of following Jesus? Your life of faith has stopped. There's some sin that's tripping you up. And Jesus says, if you'll repent, he'll pick you up, clean you off in his forgiveness, and set you back on your purpose. Some of you have some sin, some things that are causing you to keep tripping up. And Jesus wants to pick you up today and set you back on course for your purpose. And then he says, there are weights, there are sins, and then there's the ever important, what do you do instead? You keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep looking at Jesus. You keep looking at the Savior who arrived to come and redeem. You recognize that when you keep your eyes on Jesus, your redemptive purpose is awakened and joy 
is before you. If you want to see joy return in your everyday life, keep your eyes on Jesus and he'll keep showing you the redemptive purpose for your day. That he sent you on mission to look and become like Jesus. Can I tell you what your purpose is and what my purpose is? The particulars may vary, but the big picture of your purpose and the big picture of my purpose is this, to follow Jesus and become like him. I know, no, 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 no. You were wanting me to tell you what job you should hold. Nope, that's a particular. Where you work matters way less than how you work. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Where you work matters way less to your purpose than how you work. How you work ought to be, I'm reflecting Jesus in this space. And if my life is reflecting Jesus in this space, there is a sense of illumination that comes. But nothing will steal your joy and and confuse your purpose like losing sight of the big picture. This is why Jesus was telling his disciples, hey guys, there are some specifics and some particulars about my purpose that you need to know. Part of it is going to cause you pain, you're going to get discouraged, and you're going to feel down. But I need you to know there's a bigger picture at play. I'm going to be crucified, but don't forget the big picture, but I'm getting up three days later. My kids, yesterday, we, uh, we, we have some gifts out underneath our tree, and they were all excited. And this is really the first year, because of their age, that we've been able to put out Presents already wrapped underneath the tree. And there are, they were up there sizing up who's got the big one, who's, how many does your name have on it, how many does my name have on it. They were, they were getting all excited, and then they started to argue. But how, how am I going to share that gift? I can't share that gift. How are we both going to open such a small gift, Dad? How can both of our names be on this? And what about how many? They've got more than I've got, and they were losing sight of a bigger picture. And I said, whoa, 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 everybody listen, listen to me. Here's what I want you to do. Every time you look at these gifts, I want you to think to yourself, not how many am I getting. I want you to think to yourself, Jesus loves me, and this is what he's provided for me. I need you to remember that these gifts are about the love of Jesus. And these gifts aren't about who gets more and who gets what. These gifts remind you that you are loved by Jesus, and he has provided for you. My son, Micah, goes and grabs a sheet of paper and a Sharpie and writes, Jesus provided these for us. He loves us and puts it right under the tree front and center. Have you lost sight of your purpose and gotten confused by the particulars? Friends, if you will keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll recognize that your purpose looks like Jesus. One of my favorite things about this time of year, one of the the things that brings me maybe some of the most joy at Christmas are Christmas lights. uh, Anybody else love Christmas lights? I just love, love, love Christmas lights. I love the the decorations. I love the the hiding. But you know what I don't love? Yeah. I don't love that they get tangled. You want to know what steals the joy of Christmas lights? 
right? It sometimes makes me lose my salvation and I sin and I trip up and I got to repent and let the Jesus pick me up. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you start pulling them in and out. You're like, man, where is that? Oh, there's the cable. All right, that's what I, I need this one here. You start looking around and they are tangled. They are a mess and they can make you curse words you didn't think you knew. You know what they really do? It's not that they're stealing your joy. You know what they're doing? They're making you lose sight of the end result. You get too focused on the particulars, this bulb and this thing, and which one's got lights and which one's, and all the tangling and the frustration, and then you hang them up, and then they're crooked, and some fall out, and some don't work. I've climbed up and down a ladder more times this year than I care to count, fixing lights on my house. It's really just because I lose sight of the joy that's coming. The delight that I'll get to experience when the lights are on. I'll lose sight. But, but when I remember, oh, there, there's going to be people driving by my house. And some kid is going to go, oh. Oh, that brings me joy. Because it brings him joy. See, I, I don't do lights on the outside of my house for me. We do lights on the outside for others to see. We do lights on the inside for us to see. But there are lights on the outside of our house for others to see. And it is more frustrating, confounding, and upsetting that there is more work that goes in to the outside lights than the inside lights. Everybody all right back here? We're good? <laughs> We got an itty-bitty space for not an itty. Bless the Lord. Y'all, y'all, side note, family, pray with me. She's not allowed to have that baby before Christmas. Like, it's just till. I'm just saying. You're doing awesome. We love you, Taylor. You know what happens? We lose sight of the joy that someone else is going to have. And we get so focused on the particulars that we lose sight of the big picture. And some of us have been so frustrated by life and so many things. And some of us have feel more like, like these bulbs here, these, these ones that are, that are completely broken. Where's, where's that? Where, how did that happen? Where, that's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to look like this, but it looks like this. We think it's so broken, it's so messed up. There, there is no more purpose for this one. Just throw the whole thing away. Throw the relationship away. Throw the faith away. It's too broken. It's too messed up. It's too unorganized. It's too chaotic. I can't do it. But you're forgetting that you're not the one that powers your purpose. You're forgetting that there's a greater power to your purpose. And even in the broken ones, a light can still shine. Even in your pain, there's still a purpose. Even in the chaos and the confusion and the frustration of the tangled life and the long hours and the ungrateful kids and the... Oh, there's still a redemptive purpose for your life. 
there's still a purpose, and it's for you to look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, and live like Jesus in the world around you. Friends, we have to keep our eyes on the big picture. Jesus is our big picture. He was set before him, and it brought joy. If we will keep our eyes on Jesus, we can keep our joy, because the joy is found when we live like Jesus, we are illuminating the light of the world for others to see and they can see Jesus even in the frustrations and the things that make us unhappy we can still see that there's a purpose for our lives and there's a joy that's awakened when we live by that purpose why did Jesus come? he came to redeem you and me Why did Jesus come? He came to proclaim good news to the poor, Luke chapter 4. He he was sent to proclaim freedom and liberty to the captives, to help others recover their sight. Who are the people in your life who have lost sight of what Jesus looks like? Maybe it's because you've lost sight you're supposed to look like Jesus too and you're the Jesus that they were meant to see and when you remember your redemptive purpose you can help them experience Jesus in a way that transforms their lives and they find sight again they find liberty again they discover this is God's holy year. Friends, you might feel broken, but can I tell you, Jesus can heal that brokenness in your life and restore your sight to see your purpose. You might feel captive by your situation, but Jesus can give you freedom so that you can see your redemptive purpose again. You might have a heart that needs mending, but you can still shine a light and experience joy in your pain. Don't get caught up in your particulars. Keep your eyes on Jesus who is bigger than those things. Shine your light so others can see their Redeemer. This is why Jesus came. And this is why you follow him. And this is why we have a redemptive purpose in this space, in this time, for this year. So that others may see your good deeds and your light. And they might be able to see Jesus clearly for the first time in their life. This is our purpose. Let's not lose sight of Jesus, who is our purpose. Amen? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. And then at the end of that prayer, I'll invite you to open your eyes and we will together speak blessing over each other. But would you just bow your heads for just a second? There are two groups of people in here that I want to pray for. One, you are here and you have lost sight of your purpose because you're experiencing great pain and brokenness. And I'm going to pray for you, but if you know that's you, I want you to make your way to the prayer spot after we conclude and allow our team to pray healing over you. You know you're experiencing pain, you're experiencing brokenness, and you don't think that you are useful or have a purpose. We want to pray for you. We want to lay hands on you and bring healing to your soul today. But there's another group 
And those of you who have just lost sight of your purpose, you got busy, you got weighed down by some things, and you forgot the big picture of what your life is to be. That's who I, I want to pray for mostly in this moment. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes to see Jesus and realize the redemptive potential and purpose you have for us. Give us eyes to see again. Give us eyes to see Jesus, you, and see what you see, Jesus. We love you. Reawaken joy as we rediscover our purpose is to be like you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you lift a loud, joyous voice and declare blessing over the people around you as we pray this over one another? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. Amen. Hey, hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.